fell asleep in church. History and the Good day, everybody. This is the Second Pot Podcast. I am Caleb Spiker here with Serena Wolf. And we are here to uh, talk about what is going on in the life of the church, to talk today about the Trinity, which is exceedingly difficult, as was witnessed this weekend as we tried to. But first, we have a new energy drink to review. And this one has me a little bit scared, Serena, not going to lie. Well, you picked it, uh, so I'm not sure what that says about you, Caleb. Well, you know, I am here to serve the people. Yeah, all right. I'm going to get a picture of this sucker, because this is yeah. kind of frightening. It so is. it is a black can with uh, like a like a sharp, pointy spear thing A. It's called Adrenaline Shock in a black can. Yeah. Uh, zero sugar, though, this week. Thank yeah. you. Natural caffeine. What? Uh, I thought all caffeine was natural. Oh, maybe that's, that's what that's about. It doesn't say... Oh, oh, we have 300 milligrams of caffeine. All right. Let's do this. I'm, I'm afraid. Oh, smells a little funky. Bottoms up. Oh. Huh. Smells like a bottle of vitamins. Uh, taste. It tastes like grapefruit that's been left out in the sun for too long. It, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. I love on the can, though, it says natural caffeine, 300 milligram, clean energy. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're going for some type of citrus. I'm not sure it's working for them. Yeah. Oh, did I bring? Okay, I have my big water bottle here, so that's that's good. Uh, But, okay, well, this, this might explain it. Zero artificial flavors, which may not be in their favor. Uh, zero artificial colors, zero chemical preservatives. Hmm. Honestly, it's growing on me. Caution. Not recommended for use by individuals under 18 years of age. Too much caffeine may cause nervousness, irritability, sleepiness, Oh, no, sleepy, sleeplessness and occasional rapid heart rate. And if your name is Serena Wolf, burping, evidently, because that's <laughs> what these drinks do to me. All right, what are we scoring this one? Mm, yeah, it's not so bad after like the fourth or fifth drink. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's one of those things, that, like, the first sip, it's like, this is some of the most vile stuff I've ever had. Then you get to, like, the third sip, and it's like, I want more of it. I wouldn't say... Very strange. I wouldn't say I want more of it, but I, I will say that um, I'm not opposed to drinking it. I have already burped twice. I'm sure the listeners appreciate that little bit of insight for them. Hmm. So I wonder what flavor this is supposed to be. We've got a carbonated water. They're calling it shock wave. Citric acid. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to say it's some sort of uh, some grapefruit type thing. Oh no, this one's bad. All right. <laughs> I hope you keep every last one of these burps in because it is <laughs> it is incredibly entertaining sitting here. You're welcome. Yeah, man. I think it's I think it's carbonation. Like I only have one soda a week. 
I don't drink a lot of carbonated beverages. Still smells like a bottle of vitamins. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say the first sip, this had been my least favorite that we'd tried. But now that I'm half done with the can, I, I think it's probably, like, it is mind-boggling how much this has grown on me. Mm-hmm. Like, I would say this is as good as anything that we've had. Like, that first drink was, like, that first taste was truly terrible. Like, I think, but what it, it did is, I believe it murdered some taste buds. Yeah. In the process. Um, so now the only taste buds that are still working uh, desire whatever this is. The so only taste buds left are going, we love you. Don't murder us too. <laughs> That's exactly what's <laughs> happening. Uh, adrenaline shock came in like a, a dictator. And yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. So let, let's hear your yeah, numbers. So I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to give this uh, this Mussolini of uh, energy drinks. I'm going to give it a seven, believe nice. it or not. Nice, nice. I can't hardly believe it because, like I said, that first drink, I didn't really want a second one. Yeah. I wonder if it was the smell, though. Like, I don't know it about you, be. but we yeah. – so I think we both opened our cans kind of close to our face because that's where the microphones are. Uh, yeah. And I immediately got a smell of, like, once a day – you know, like, ooh. Yeah. Uh, wow, seven. So, um. I might even go eight. Like, I'm I'm really enjoying the second half of this. Wow. So, uh, for me, I'm I'm gonna go. You know what? I'll I can go with seven. I think seven is fair. It's definitely uh, doesn't have the nasty aftertaste of the Rockstar or whatever that was lemonade nonsense. Yeah. It doesn't have the sugar of NOS, praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's got as much caffeine as Bang and isn't, it grows on you. Yeah, the taste isn't going to keep me from drinking this entire can. Yeah, so so the Bang, like the Bang and the NOS were too sweet, I thought. Oh, I thought NOS was way worse than Bang. Um, but yeah, this, this is, uh, this works. The aftertaste is uh, mildly... It's a little fruity. Citrus, yeah. yeah. All right, well, good pick. Uh, you know, I think that if there are listeners who are familiar with energy drinks or, or who have favorite energy drinks, they should let one of us know, and we can try them out. You say that. There's going to, like, we're going to come into the office one day, and the fridge is going to be stocked with with energy drinks. I will be giddy. To try. I'll be giddy. And... I should I should pull the students Trinity students. Mm. I don't think any of them listen to us, but Probably I'll not. I'll send out a I'll send out a poll for them and see what they say. Yeah, I think if you took the uh, Venn diagram of people who are listening to this podcast and people in the world who drink energy drinks, the overlap is going to be very very small. I would say so. But I would say. Hey, you never know. We'll be lucky if we get one person. That's all right. All right. So we'll just keep drinking uh, our energy drinks, our adrenaline shock, smart energy, as we move into our conversation. Yeah. Good job, adrenaline shock people. I can't even tell who this is bottled Manufactured by. for a shock beverage, limited liability company, Newport Beach, California. Only in California would you sell something as, uh, you know, 300 milligrams natural caffeine, clean energy. Ocean oh. minerals, electrolytes. And none salt. of the big guys are out west, so, I mean, this might be, I mean, this, this might not, this may not be owned by Pepsi or Coke or yeah, right? one of the big guys, which is. We'll have to find out. A shock. You know, that, that might not be very long <laughs> before they get bought out. <laughs> nice. Because if we know anything about the big boys is they do not like craft competition. Nope, they don't. All right, Caleb, we're going to talk about the Trinity, huh? We're going to try. Yeah. Because it's hard. 
It is. You know, and I think um, the confirmation curriculum uh, we had that the confirmands used, um, I think Phil Talon did a really good job describing why it's so hard because we are talking about something that is three things but is one thing but is still three things. (laughs) And we're not talking about something. We're talking about someone, right? (laughs) And for you listeners who are wondering, for confirmation, we used uh, two books. We used the absolute basics of the Christian faith and supplemented it with the absolute basics of the Wesleyan way. So uh, both by Phil Talon, but the second one is co-authored by one Dr. Justice Hunter, who happens to be one of my faculty mentors in my Doctor of Ministry program at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio, the best seminary in Ohio, hands down. I mean, you're not wrong. Definitely the best seminary in the United Methodist circles. Anyway, I digress. I had to put a plug in because we're losing half of our students to graduation this semester. We're going to come back, and there are only going to be five of us. And so we need some more students. So if you're interested in getting a doctorate of ministry, I am part of the Living the Historic Faith uh, cohort, and we would love to have you. Well, um, so the Trinity. Yeah, the Trinity. Yeah. um, Hopefully, you've all seen the Lutheran satire YouTube video, St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. I think we posted it on uh, Trinity's social once, but I am going to be sure to do that again this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I post it every year on March 17th, so <laughs> if you get on my page and scroll back to March 17th, so you'll find it. Actually, I posted it yesterday, too. Good, good. Um, so good. And, yeah, I mean, like, the the problem is that it's just very hard to even conceptually make sense of three persons... existing in perfect harmony as the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's, that is what we believe, like m- making sense of it and trying to, trying to develop an analogy that properly um, helps us wrap our head around is just incredibly difficult. Right, without falling into heresy. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so, or go ahead. The, the analogy you used yesterday that you were talking about a minute ago, mm-hmm. why don't you yeah. tell us what so, that is? Um, so, you know, this uh, Lutheran satire, St. Patrick's Bad Analogies, it basically goes through a lot of the analogies that we've been given before about the trinity and you know kind of in a satirical way talks about why they fall short right so so the clover right like it's um you know like it's one clover right it's not three distinct clovers um you know you have the egg um you know steam like the sun, like all these analogies, we've all heard them, you know, at different times, and all of them fall short for one reason or another. And um, actually, here's a this is an analogy that again I stole, full on stole from Phil Talon. Um, but I think it's it's probably the best Trinity analogy I've heard, which doesn't mean it it's perfect. It still falls yes. short. Yeah. Um, but, but it's pretty good. But it's 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 better than most. Um, and Phil Talon talks about a major chord in music, right? So a one, a three, and a five in any key sounds great. Mm-hmm. You can play it inverted with the three in the bass, and it still sounds good. You can play it inverted with the five in the bass, and it still sounds good. You can move will, through the inverted and it, and it just sounds like it's lifting your spirits it is harmonious no matter how you play it mm-hmm. true um what a 
note is, like that sound, it is vibrating airwaves hitting our ear. So it's the same substance, but it's vibrating at three different frequencies. Like they are distinct frequencies. A G will never vibrate at the frequency that a B does. A B will never vibrate at the frequency a D does, and so on. Um, so as far as like being able to talk about something that is of the same substance but is distinctly different, that lives in harmony, a major chord is as good an analogy as we have, I think. Um, now, it's still, when you start talking about root, third, fifth, you know, you get dangerously close to partialism again. Right? Sure. Um, but. Now, the good thing is with inversions, we say, oh, it still sounds good no matter what's in the root. The root is irrelevant. Then it starts to be like, oh, okay, maybe this is okay again. Um, to be fair, in the curriculum we used, he never went that far, right? Like he just said, three notes, one chord, right? Yeah. But yeah, then you start breaking that analogy down, and it. Yeah, it I mean, it, it gets starts to gets fall messy, apart a little, right? Um, well, and I think that's part of what I love about um, Christian theology, and what I love about the Trinity is there are things in our world that get us close, but those things aren't God, and so they never quite get all the way to what we think God, uh, or who we think God is, and how God has revealed himself to us. I'm going to put a plug in for the masculine pronoun. Okay. Because Jesus is God, and Jesus is male, God is he. I like gender-neutral language when I'm talking about people. I like male pronouns when I'm talking about God because that is how God has revealed himself to us in Scripture. You're welcome. Oh, and in Christ. You're welcome. I mean, uh, either we are for self-identification or we aren't, right? <laughs> You went there. I didn't. I mean, no. Um, but no, like, yeah, we have this um, getting back to the questions of the Trinity away from whether or not it is correct to refer. And here's, so here's, here's part of it, right? Like, I think, you know, and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday, there is this... Um, and I don't know if it is an issue with the English language or a failure to be careful in our language as the Western church. Um, but I would venture to say that if you polled Christians in the United States and said, who are the members of the Trinity? At least 30% would say God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, which is not, I mean, it, it is wrong, right? It like is it, wrong. Like, it, I understand what, like, in in our heads, we can have it right, but not have the correct language. Um, you know, for, for Christians, we talk about God as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Together they are God. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I mean, and, and part of it is like even even the liturgy we use, I think, makes it a little muddy. Sometimes. Like the, the Apostles' Creed starts out, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Like, I, it would be um, helpful If when, when we wrote out the Apostles' Creed, which was written in a language without punctuation. Exactly. Um, if we said, I believe in God, colon, mm -hmm. new paragraph, 
the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. So God is what is following, you know, not not trying to... Because, yeah, I mean, it's... And well, then, then, I mean, the Nicene Creed yeah. does the same thing. And, I mean, this is why why the church is on this 300-year, uh, well, you know, 150-year progression. Uh, well, no, no, 300 years. So you had the Apostles' Creed somewhere in the early, you know, late 2nd, early 3rd century. You get the Nicene Creed in 325. You get the mm-hmm. Chalcedonian Definition in 451. All of which trying to make clear what the church believes about the divinity of Jesus and what it means for Jesus to be divine. Yes. Not that Jesus is in some way inferior to the Father, but that they are eternally equal. The right. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit eternally equal as the Godhead. Yes. Well, and we and it took three tries to get there. <laughs> well, uh, no, I don't think it took three tries to get it right. So much as creeds were always, well, I don't know if this is true about the Apostles' Creed, right? Like the early evidence of the Apostles' Creed is that it was used in a baptism rite. Um, yeah, it it's, never, it's liturgical, right? Right. It was like never it an official creed of the church. But then, because of the rise of Arianism, and Arius believed or taught that Jesus is subordinate to God the Father, right? Arianism Patrick. That's right. You're the worst Patrick. Exactly. So Arius taught that God the Father was first, and Jesus was the first being God the Father created. So then we have the Council of Nicaea coming together, uh, and, you know, like, it was close. There was a period of Christianity where uh, the majority of, like, the Roman Empire, the you know, were, were Arians. This is, this is why the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are still Arian Christians today. So 30% of evangelicals, according to Ligonier, <laughs> right? Yeah. Ligonier, I mean, like, in 2020, polled 10,000 random self-identified yeah. evangelicals. 30% made the claim that Jesus is not divine. Yeah. Evangelicals <laughs> are not the majority of Christians in the world, though, right? Like, But when we talk about a group that is theoretically taking this seriously that is theoretically, you know, in their Bible, you know, would at least on the surface appear to be, you know, not, uh, how to say this, um, not being swept up with, you know, the project of, say, 20th century biblical liberalism, you know, where, you know, Jesus becomes historical and, Spong, you know, promotes right. his nonsense. Right. But the evangelicals we're talking about are still Protestant, right? And a number mostly, of... I mostly Protestant. Although, you know, they're like... This is why I hate this term. This term... It you means have nothing to, anymore. Right, right. You have to ask someone, what do you mean by evangelical? Um, so I think... Probably the study was looking at Protestants who identify as evangelical. Evangelical Protestants are largely... um, Did you know that a quarter uh of Muslims in this country identify as evangelical? Political evangelicals. That is interesting. Which is mind-boggling to me. The phrase Like the word means nothing at this point. Yeah, the, the phrase political evangelical frightens me, actually. Like, the good news is not tied to politics. This is the mistake. Well, it's very political, but yes. it's not based on the tribal lines in this country. Right. It, the good news is not tri- tied to uh, government or partisan politics, I should say. Right? Like, this is the mistake that that the religious leaders... Jesus criticized were making. This is why we believe that Jesus wasn't recognized as Messiah. 
anyway, now I can't remember what, oh, yes, evangelicals. So I could be wrong. This could be my stereotype in my head. But I think evangelicals are largely of a Baptist tradition or independent denominations, or independent, they aren't non-denominational, right? Uh, not really. You don't think? Okay, so. I mean, so I, I would say, so, I mean, for example, the United Methodist Church is, by definition, an evangelical denomination. Yeah, I don't. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is, by definition, evangelical. The Presbyterian Church, USA, is, by definition, evangelical. Like, nearly every Protestant denomination and probably at least a quarter, if not half, of Catholicism would consider themselves in the evangelical tradition. Now, mm -hmm. what I will say is what an evangelical has been historically and what an evangelical is in 2021 seemingly right. are two very different things. Right. Because historically, evangelicals have four big tenets, right? Divinity of Jesus, authority of Scripture, commitment to, to social justice. Now, is that when evangelicals use the term social justice, it is not necessarily the same thing as, as what you know, it has come to mean in modern-day parlance, just like right. when an evangelical says evangelical, they don't mean it the way that <laughs> right. you know, it means it now. Well, some. Some. But that's the thing. I think, you know, you list these um, denominations and Christian traditions. I, I don't know that anyone in the ECLA, ELCA? ELCA. Yeah. ELCA. Would um, identify as an evangelical. I mean, it depends on how they're defining it, right? right? I mean, most of the, you know, quote-unquote political evangelicals are ALC now, right? Like, that was part of their split. ALC. The American Lutheran Church or American Lutheran Conference, something mm, like that. Okay. Anyway, I, uh, here's the thing. Protestants, not all, but many, like the Southern Baptist Convention, which I think is still, are they second to United Methodist in the United States? Are we second now in numbers? Um, the United Methodist Church is still the largest denomination in the United right. States. But I think the Southern Baptist Convention is the second largest denomination. I would, I would wager to say so. For whatever reason... Well, no, I know what the reason, right? But we're not going to go into all that. Um, the Southern Baptist, as well as many Baptists, have divorced themselves from the creeds, right? Like, the Bible is my creed. Well, that's great, but um, it doesn't work that way. Not really. Not if you're being. Not if you. Not if you have intellectual integrity. Um, yeah. So when you divorce yourself from the creeds. When you look back at the, the seven ecumenical councils and you're like, well, that's Catholic, and you, you lose all of that, of course you're going to start. It's actually not Catholic. It's Orthodox. I, I know. <laughs> I, you and I know this, right? But, but I feel yeah. like there's a lot of that. Uh, okay. Because something that you know most Protestants living in the West don't understand is that Catholicism is the original Reformation. Right. Like it is, you know, the the breaking away of the Western church from the Eastern church. Right. Roman Catholic churches. Yes. Yeah. Um, Back in 1022. Yeah. 400 years before Martin Luther. Yep. Uh, anyway, I think that, you know, so many Christians have divorced themselves of of the creed or from the creed and are completely ignorant of the history of Christianity well, I mean, I've been this way in my life. At 22, as a good Baptist, and again, if you're listening to this and you're Baptist, I love you. I love the Baptist tradition. Nobody ever taught me that Jesus was a Jewish man. I was one of those people. What kind of, what kind of person was Jesus? He was a Christian. Oh, gosh. I look back at me now, and I'm like, shut up, 22-year-old Serena. <laughs> you don't know anything. 
So yeah, so, the Trinity is really hard to talk about. It is. It is. <laughs> and it's it's hard to like. This is why we have the creeds, right? Mm-hmm. Constantly, or well, not constantly anymore. Uh, outlining what it is we believe about God. Um, and it's not easy. It's easier for us to say what God is not than to try to say what God is or who God is. Yeah, and I mean, all... At the end of the day, our our best opportunity to say... Well, I'll, I'll say it this way. We are we are more equipped to say who God is than what God is. Yes. Well, yes. Because Jesus is the revelation. We can look at the life of Christ. We can look at the, um, the gospel account and, and receive that as a, as a credible testimony to the character of God. So, who is God? That's a question we can begin answering. Um, what is God becomes much more difficult. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think what we start seeing is that um, when we start even reading the, um, you know, the Old Testament through the light of the revelation of Jesus. Which is what Christians do. Which is exactly BTW. what Christians do. Um, it gives us a it gives us greater insight into the why of some of what God does. Um, you know, we see a God who, from the beginning, in his dealings with the people of Israel, is always self-emptying is mm-hmm. always submitting you know is continually being invitational um, you know this this idea that you know somehow the God of the Old Testament is you know mean and vengeful and then you know Jesus Jesus changes that like that the father and the son are you know on different pages it's like that is a lazy reading of the Bible very lazy and it is. Uh, it displays an ignorance of Christian theology. Well, I mean, even, I mean, I think you can just stop it. It's a lazy reading yeah, of the you Bible, can. You right? Can. Like, yeah. um, you know, like there, and, and this is, you know, this is part of the, the difficulty of, of making sense of, you know, the function of the Bible in Judaism and Christianity. There are, I mean, and this is, it gets back to what is the Bible, right? Like, the Bible is a collection of 66 books. Well, for Protestants. For Protestants. And a handful more, if you're not Protestant. And when I say Protestant, I also don't mean the Latter-day Saints, because they have a whole other book, which is bad news. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so so we have this... Um, so we have this this Bible, which is a collection of 66 books. Within these 66 books, we see different types of literature. Mm-hmm. Psalms, and, and we understand this to some degree, like, like just patently, right? We understand that Psalms and the Song of Solomon are not presented as history books. Right. Right? They're poetry, they're liturgy, they're hymn books. Well, they're poetry. I, I don't I don't know that Song of Solomon would be considered a hymn book. Don't you, as a Jewish man, don't you have to be in your 30s before you're... <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, that's the rumor, <laughs> right? It's pretty risque, Song yeah. of Solomon. Um, so, I mean, like, there are certain parts that we just, like... It's like, oh, obviously this is poetry, right? Like, we aren't going to, you know, when when David says that my 
heart bursts within me. Like he's not actually having, you know, a a coronary. Yeah. Right. right. Like, like we understand there's there's poetry going on here that this is about worship. It's about the the definition of the community. It's about um, it's about describing an intimate relationship with God. But for some reason, we there are certain parts of the Old Testament that we have we have given up. I, I shouldn't even say that. There are certain parts of the Old Testament that we make assumptions about what kind of genre of literature they are. And in doing so, we do the Old Testament a disservice. Well, and even if we look at... And we do God a disservice. Absolutely. Even if we look at Chronicles or Kings um, as history, what does it mean that history, you know, for it to be history to the ancients as opposed to what is our modern understanding of history, right? Like, these books do contain history, but it's history from the ancients' perspective, not from our perspective. So, you know, they approached history a little differently. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, like the, the question becomes, when, when we are trying to understand the words of the Old Testament, what is our process? And, you know, I mean, honestly, I think there are multiple valid ways to go about it. And, you know, I'm not going to... <clears throat> fight anyone if they want to read it one way or the other and you know honestly all of it has a certain degree of error right like i am confident 30 percent of what i believe about the old testament is wrong i just don't know what 30 percent it is um but for me like the process that i think makes sense for trying to understand you know the Bible more generally, but specifically the Old Testament, is you know start with what is the most likely way that Jesus would have read these passages as a first-century Jewish rabbi, being informed by the Talmud. What is the most likely way that Jesus read these passages? When he was 12, he went to the temple. Everyone's like, holy cow, this kid really understands it. This is amazing. My guess is that he wasn't just being like, well, this is what it says, right? Right. Like, my guess is he had, he was showing an understanding of the rabbinical literature that was marveling the other rabbis who were older and who were there. So if we are thinking about the Old Testament, understanding, at least broadly, conceptually, <clears throat> how a first century rabbi being informed by the Talmud would have interpreted the Old Testament is probably our best starting place. But here's the truth. And from there, being able to say, now, in light of the revelation of Jesus, yeah. you know, these two things working in concert... How does this give me the clearest picture of who God is? Yeah. But for you and I to take that approach is relatively easy because we have each, you know, build up resources through our study. If you had asked me before seminary, how would a first century Jewish man have read the Old Testament? I would have been like, uh... Let me go. Let me go ask my pastor about that because I don't know, and I don't know that I would have known where to even look. Mm. Right? It's it's through seminary and through that education where I've learned trustworthy resources. Um, yeah. So for someone sitting in the pew, where do they go for that information? Um. If you want a book, Bruce Molina stuff is really helpful. If you want to go original sources, you can just Google Talmud, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? T-A-L-M-U-D. And, I mean, it is amazing how well um, 
how well Jewish scholars have kept oh, yeah. their documentation from, you know, at this point, several millennia worth of writing. Yeah. Um, I don't know how we got from the Trinity to here. I, I don't either. But that's okay. It's all right. Um, it's probably because, strangely enough, this is easier to talk about than the Trinity. <laughs> it really is. Uh, I want to just share something with you, because you and I haven't actually sat down and talked since uh, my cohort met last week. Um, so for my doctoral program, our cohort... Is Watson ready to show me the money? I don't know. You'll have to, you'll have to ask hey, him Hey, Jerry, that. Jerry, show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money, Jerry. Show me the money. There you go. All right, that sounded really bad, but he'll get it. He'll get it. It's a little bit of an inside He's not joke. listening, but he'll get it. <laughs> he better um, be listening. <laughs> uh, so, oh, that makes me nervous because now I'm going to, like, review what we learned. Uh, so, interestingly enough, right, we have the Methodist uh, movement started by John Wesley, an Anglican priest, uh, in the late 1700s, uh, mid-1700s. Uh, to correct some things he saw in the Anglican Church, the Church of England at the time. Um, and, you know, scholars came after him, people who taught. Uh, and one of these that I had not ever read, because I've read some uh, writings of a man named John Fletcher, who probably would have been Wesley's predecessor had he lived, but he did not live. Uh, he wrote five checks to antinomialism. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he he he's really interesting work. Um, so we have this scholar Adam Clark in early Methodism, and he wrote commentaries, where he wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible. Sharp dude. Um, but he gets to oh shoot now I can't remember I think we were reading in Luke. Uh, and he makes a note that um, the phrase son of God refers to Jesus's divine nature and not the human nature, or maybe it's the other way around. That's awful that I can't remember. Anyway, the the short of this is that, uh, you know, 1800s, Methodist brought internal charges of heresy against him mm. because he was basically saying that um, the son is begotten, meaning uh, there was a time when the son did not exist. And so he actually... The son was created, not begotten. Yes, the son was created, not begotten. Uh, and actually, he wanted to remove some of the, the Trinitarian language to protect the divinity of Jesus. It was really weird. And in the end, like this language, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son being the begotten of the Father, messed him up. And his teachings about uh, her, his Christology was a mess. And his fellow Methodists loved him, uh, did not want to kick him out of their circles. So they embraced him regardless of this heresy. And the Methodist movement has been doing this type of thing ever since. <laughs> it's great. Um, I wish I, I should have brought my papers with me and had it in front of me. But yeah, I, it's, it's hard. What, you know, you and I know, you know. Well, and that, that's the interesting thing about son of, I mean, part of, you know, what I've been, um, you know, studying up on here in preparation for this is the way um, the series that we're in is, you know, the vast majority of the time in the Bible, when someone is referred to as the son of God, it's not a claim of divinity, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's a Mago Dei language. You know, Adam is the son of God, mm -hmm. um, you know, David. Um, so yeah, like the, Like, whereas, whereas, um, as is often the case, Jesus exceeds the way language has been used historically. So, like, Messiah, right? Jesus is not the first person who's called the Messiah. Right. But he exceeds 
every Messiah before him. Um, it is a a yes and. Um, well, because what we recognize as Christians is the fancy theological term is the hypostatic union, mm-hmm. right? Um, you can't talk about, you can't separate Jesus's divine nature and human nature. You can't right. ascribe. It, it, well, even yeah. in, in Romans, Paul says, you know, that, that we've uh, been given the right to be called sons of God. Right. right. Like, like this is not a, hey, guess what? We're all divine. This isn't some sort of panentheism. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's again referring to this idea of, um, of being adopted. But Jesus was not adopted. Jesus as the was father. not adopted. That's correct. So, I mean, then that's, this is part of, <laughs> we've been adopted, he wasn't, right? <laughs> exactly. But we're co-heirs. So, yeah. you know, I, it, and it just makes it, yeah, it is it is not an easy thing to talk about. And, um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to get it wrong than get it right. It is. So why don't we quickly, um, I wonder if this would be helpful, if we quickly said things about Jesus that we believe are true as a way of uh, kind of setting the box for the things you can't say about Jesus. Hmm. Does that, that well, maybe this will make sense as we go. So for example, um, Jesus is begotten but not created. Jesus has been eternally son of God the Father, um, but that doesn't mean that he is son in the same sense that you, Caleb, are the son of your father. So Jesus is God the Son, but he was never made by God the Father. He has existed eternally as the Son. Yeah, it is a it is language of relationship, mm-hmm. um, not biology. Yes. Uh, other things we can say about Jesus. Jesus is fully human and fully divine. You cannot separate the two. Jesus did not become divine when the spirit fell like a dove at his baptism. And he didn't become human when he was born. Right. You, humanity, Jesus has been human from before the creation of the world. Uh, Jesus... Let's see, another thing we can say about Jesus. Jesus was born to a virgin. Yes, okay, yeah, this is important. It's interesting because, and I could be wrong, but your Jewishness comes from your mother, not your father. I believe that's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, so Jesus' father in the incarnation, literally, is the Holy Spirit, who is also God. Yeah. And I do think, so, you know, it's, it's sometimes debated by people, like, well, can, can I believe that virgin just means a young woman, and not that she was... Chaste. Right. And my answer would be, no, sorry. Mary had not slept with anyone. She had not had sexual intercourse yet with Joseph. She was basically engaged, but it's a stronger engagement, if that makes sense, right? Like, she was going to marry him. Mm. Um, because once you say that Jesus is the biological son of Joseph, there's the adrenaline shock hit me again. Sorry about that. Once you say Jesus is biologically the son of Joseph, then you have to decide how he became son of God, how he could be biologically completely human and uh, spiritually divine. Uh, Jesus died on a cross, Mm -hmm. was fully dead, placed in a tomb. All the way dead. All the way dead. Not Not mostly dead. Not mostly dead. <laughs> All dead. <laughs> Not yeah. dead yet. Um, like, uh, we'll, we'll put it this way. Uh, Inigo uh, did not have enough money to have Magical Max yeah, yeah, bring yeah. Jesus back to life because he was all dead, not mostly, mostly dead. dead. Yeah. yeah. You went Princess Bride. I brought in the Monty Python. Anyway. Um, 
so he descended to the dead, which... Which we have a question in the mailbag about, which we will get <gasps> to eventually. Ooh, ooh, that's so exciting. Yeah, the question is, uh, so what happened? Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, because here's the, here's the thing. So teaser, next week's Serena will answer what oh, happened. Oh, I'd love to. Okay, so here's the thing that irks me, one of the many things that irks me about the United Methodist hymnal. <laughs> I, I hate our hymnal. I hate it. I love our liturgy. I love many of the hymns in the hymnal, but I hate our hymnal because if you turn to the back of our hymnal where we have the creeds, we have the Apostles' Creed, we have the Ecumenical Apostles' Creed, and we have the Traditional Apostles' Creed. And in the tradition, I don't care about the Ecumenical Creed. In the Traditional Creed, though, we leave out the line, he descended to the dead, or you can say he descended to hell. It's a freaking footnote. This is not a footnote. Which means it's no longer the traditional creed, right? Exactly. <laughs> you can't call it a traditional creed and make he descended to the dead a footnote. I get a little. Yeah. I get. I don't. I don't want a god who doesn't descend to the dead. That's not God. Yeah, I mean, like it, it changes our understanding of, um, you know, the, the depths that Jesus would go to, to rescue his people. Right. Right. Like, well, it, yeah. Anyway. Uh, I mean, like it is mm. like, it is not something that made the canon, but there is a whole lot of early Christian literature about, Jesus storming the gates of hell and rescuing the saints. Yeah. Well, if Jesus died, where do dead people go? They die. Now, you could say heaven because we do believe that people who have faith in God or in Christ go into the presence of God. But before Christ, the faithful went to a place called the bosom of Abraham, Sheol the place of the dead. Jesus went there, stormed hell. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so we can say that Jesus Jesus descended to the dead. He actually died and went to the place where dead people are. And then actually came back physically. Yes. Not some sort of specter. No. Some sort of ghost man. Because if Jesus doesn't come back physically... We're not going to come back. Like, there's no resurrection. Yeah. And I do, God didn't create us to be disembodied souls. God created us to be embodied souls. Yeah, and as as Christians, yeah. we bet the farm on on resurrected life and a new heaven and a new earth. That's right. Like, we, our hope is not that we get to be, you know... Like, we don't become, you know, angels playing harps, floating on clouds, right? Like, humans are designed, like, humans come from the dirt and the dust. We are designed to be terrestrial. Yep. We, we aren't designed for some sort of disembodied no. existence. I don't want to be an angel. Jesus didn't die for the angels. I, I'm not really sure where that line of thought came from, to be honest with you. I, you know, I kind of wonder. But it's very popular. Yeah. And it popular is It thought. is very popular right now. Uh, That's been popular. I'm just going to blame ages. the Church of the Latter-day Saints and leave it there. I don't think they have enough influence to. Oh, so where I come from, there's a saying before, when you were still playing with the angels, so before your birth. But that idea is a Mormon idea hmm. that we existed before we were born because we made a choice to come and be born. And it's kind of a, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's I, I have loved every Latter-day Saint I've ever met. 
They're great. They are I mean, great if, if, if I could pick my neighbors, I would live on a street oh, full of Mormons. every time. I mean, like, the, the Mormons are so much better at showing Christian hospitality than we are. Like, I, got, oh, yeah. I, I remember having this conversation with my mom all back. Because we, like, I grew up with, with Mormons across the street. And it was just like... Like this, I mean, like they had issues like every other family, Of right? course. But it's like their prioritization of living faithful religious lives, lives um, I mean, yeah. put 99% of Christians I knew to shame. Yeah. Right? Like. As a Mormon? As far as, like, like they're the, you know, yeah, it, it was incredible. Like, I mean, when, when we were in high school, you know, my uh, my neighbors, Lindsay and David, they were up <laughs> at 5.30 leaving to drive into church because they educate everyone, mm-hmm. right? Like, there is no, like, professional class of clergy in, right. in Mormonism, right? It's... It's your time will come when we will ask you to preach or to do a funeral. Men. Uh, I mean, mm, they, they train the, everybody. Yes, right? but women don't actually lead the church. But. but I mean, there's some teaching that goes on. Sure. I mean, as, yeah, as far as administration, I'm not, I'm not sure if there are any. I don't know. If there's anyone who's... Uh, uh, an LDS person listening. If you want to give us clarity here, that would be great. If you know of any churches that are uh, that have have female prime leadership, um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I just like for yeah, I mean for forever, I have thought, man, if there was one church that took the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as seriously as the vast majority of LDS folks I've met take Mormonism. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would transform a community. Yeah. They, like, when, when your, what do they call it? A te- no, the temple is... Um, out in Salt yeah. Lake City. But, but when your people gather for worship, you're there. Mm-hmm. Uh, family is central to life. And guess what? You will be a missionary at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, right? Like, right like after we, you graduate. We don't care if you are going to play in the NFL someday. You're going to go gonna take your mission first, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, uh, but here's the thing. Um, the reason they do these things is, is based on what they believe about God um, based on that their dedication to family is based upon their understanding that family is literally eternal, literally eternal, eternally. I would be eternally wed to Tyler forever having spirit children. Well, if we were Mormons, but we're not. So, um, anyway, yeah, no, it's yeah, but okay. All that to say, like the things they believe about Jesus are not in keeping with the historic Christian faith. Not at all. Not one iota. Nothing about it. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Had to get that out there. Uh, So when I'm talking about Christians, unfortunately, I am not including the Latter-day Saints, nor am I including the Jehovah Witness. So, uh, yeah. So things we can say about Jesus. Everything in the creed. Which ones? Uh, the Apostles' Creed, the the anything you know, everything that came out of the Council of Nicaea, and the definition of uh, Chalcedon. These are all things we can say about Jesus. And everything in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. I did, I did appreciate this weekend, though, that uh, Trinity people had some things to say to you about 
about uh, the creed and what we believe about God. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, uh, it's, it is like, I'm, again, this is, this is one of the sort of tension, the tensions about broadcasting worship mm-hmm. and live streaming it, right? Because, you know, when I talk to someone who's watching online, they're like, what was going on there? Like, I didn't get it. Like, did, was someone like talking? It's like, yeah. Yeah, we, we're going to have to remember that if someone in the congregation, not an audience, by the way, we don't have an online audience, we have a congregation. When someone in the congregation says something in the, in the sanctuary, we'll have to remember to repeat it back. Um, but, I, but, you know, like I'm, I'm excited that um, Trinity appears to be willing to engage in dialogue because that's how you learn. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I I don't know about you, but I'm um, I am very much a uh, an introverted type person, mm-hmm. and part of my introversion makes it so that I tend to be incredibly one track minded. <laughs> so. Moving from track to track can be very difficult. Uh-huh. So I will say, if you want a good answer, probably better to send an email, and we'll talk about it in the second pot. Because, like, I am not good at moving from track A to track B and getting back on track A. Um, I, I don't part of why all interviews in my life have been painful is it's like there's only so much you can be ready to talk about and someone yeah. invariably asks you something that you're not ready to talk about and it's yeah. like uh all right so in the grand central station of my mind this is not a track that the train is on right <laughs> now so well i think that has a lot to do with um you know all my time in church, I never understood what went into sermon preparation until I had to prepare a sermon. Like, there are things you come to the podium unable to address because there's only so much time and because you, your sermon has to be have some focus, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do write into my sermons sometimes questions that are not rhetorical. I actually want the congregation to answer because for me, that is uh, a way to, to ensure that, you know, I'm staying engaged with people and people are staying engaged with me instead of just reading a sermon from a piece of paper. But those are questions that I've come prepared to ask. I don't, you know. And if you get the answers you're preparing for, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when there's an answer, it's like, ah. But I, I typically, if I'm asking a question, like, it's, it's a question that does have a right and wrong answer, right? But still, yeah. I love that one of our saints, two of our saints, actually mm-hmm. made comments um, well, that one is, I mean, I mean, they're both in, in, insightful in their own way, but Absolutely. like this, the second one, especially, can you conceive of three people living in, a, in the sort of harmony that, that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit do? And the answer is no, I can't. Like, this right. is part of the problem. Like, like, so Cindy and I live relatively harmoniously. Mm-hmm. Like, just sort of. Judging from the outside, the relationships of our peers, my sense is that we are above average in marital harmony. But don't you know that we are consistently, like, like we have different goals all the time yeah. in trying to find compromises that, like, satisfy everyone's 
you know, hopes and dreams and desires yeah. and goals. Like it is not a, Hey, what do you want to do today? Oh, that's what I want to do today. Perfect. You know, right. it's, what do you want to do today? Oh man, I want to do this. Can I do this for a couple hours and I'll come help you with this? Okay. Right. Yeah. Like Jesus was continually doing the will of the father. Continually. Because he continually submitted his will to the Father, because that's what that's what Jesus does, and what and who the Trinity is. Well, and we get into the patristics, and they're talking about the mutual submission, right? Absolutely, that, yeah. That the reason why Jesus can mutually submit to the will of the Father is that the Father is mutually submitting to the desires of the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Like it's like there is a a eternal dance of love and submission that is beyond my capacity to fathom yeah isn't this is what we refer to as the economy right correct so um yeah well i am super excited about this current sermon series that we're going through this is the way um i'm just super excited about it so well, we'll just see if I can pull it off. I'm just going to leave it at that. You'll yeah. do great. You're well, no, 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 great. not about the sermon series. I have oh. an idea for how to do the, the scripture memory videos. Um, that you know, we'll we'll see if we can. You heard it here first, second pot listeners. Caleb's got something cooking in his head. I mean, we're trying. We're trying. I don't know what attendance was yesterday, but did you did you? So yesterday we put up the first two lines of the. Apostles' Creed, and then we took them down, and uh, daggone it, almost everyone said them. They already know it, so this should be an easy win for us. Yeah. you got to have some low-hanging fruit periodically. It's true. All right. All right. I'm not sure what all we've said today, Caleb. We've talked some about the Trinity. Uh, We've talked about the divinity and eternal sonship of Jesus. Uh, we didn't really take any questions, but we're gonna. We'll take some questions next week, and while I'm at Disney World this week, I will uh, do some side reading on the eternal sonship and the death and resurrection, and he descended to the dead, and it'll be great. I'm excited. Party on. All right. Well, dear listeners, this has been the Second Pot Podcast. Uh, no matter what you're doing today, stay caffeinated. Stay in love with Jesus, and we will talk again next week. Sounds like a second pot on.